So architecture, um, a lot of people get it misconstrued because architects do not build buildings. We design space. Um, that's the simplest way to put it. You do, we design space. So the space that we're in right now had to be designed by an architect because you can't just approach any type of construction or any type of project or piece of real estate and just start throwing things up because there's a lot of coordination that goes into it. Like we're in a cigar lounge right now. You have to have all types of ventilation systems mm. and um, AC and lighting and all of that. So an architect really um, orchestrates that entire process. We design the space and we coordinate the team in order to put a building together. What up, though? Black Friday's family. Welcome back to another installment of Black Friday's podcast. Today's episode is very special because we got family in the building. I want to introduce y'all to Noir Architects, Kirk Welsh. How you doing, my brother? All good, all good. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great, man. Good to see you. <laughs> Likewise. It's been a long time. We've been talking about this for a minute. For sure, for sure. I'm glad we're able to make this a reality. So uh, before we get start formally started, I always give my guests a chance to tell more about who they are as a person and also what they represent as far as their brand and business. So if you could give us a little bit more insight into Kirk Welsh, the person, and then also Noir Architect. Kirk Welsh as an individual is just uh, a person that is very, very adventurous, a person that's very, very motivated, um, that really, really believes in uh, family morals and just morals as a great human being and a person in general. Uh, that's Kirk Welsh as a person. I have a, a close sight, a close knitted circle. So I don't let really a lot of people into the circle at all. Um, that's me, and I'm I'm a family man at, at its core. So that's Kirk Welsh as a as a person. And then tell us more about Noir Architect and how that came to be. Yeah. So Kirk Welsh as a as a business or a brand or a person, uh, it's Noir Architecture. So uh, I recently became a licensed architect in September of last year. So that was a 13 year grind. Um, so. From that, I created Noir Architecture, but that's been a, a legal entity since 2017 in itself, but I wasn't able to practice architecture as a profession until I got licensed. So Noir stands for uh, Black Architecture, so Noir is French, and it's really a play on, on the word. I didn't want to be out there and say this is Black Architecture, but mm -hmm. have something or a brand that represents something that's classic, something that is vintage, and something that... Uh, has good aesthetic taste. So uh, I'm an architect, licensed architect in the state of Michigan and uh, going for reciprocity in the territory of Puerto Rico. And also I'm a real estate investor and developer. Dope, dope. And we're definitely going to dig more into that as we get into the interview. But I got to introduce you to my favorite part of Black Fridays, which, you know, you're familiar with the podcast. So you should be familiar with this segment, Freestyle Fridays. <laughs> And it's a random assortment of questions. They're all about you, so you shouldn't get them wrong. And only got two rules. You answer honestly, and you answer every one. <laughs> okay. It's all right. Good. So because you talked a little bit about your journey and you traveling and living different places, we both have, where is your favorite place that you say that you lived so far? That I lived? Man, so I've lived in Europe for a minute. I've lived 
Puerto Rico for a number of years, Mexico. I have to say Puerto Rico. I have to say Puerto Rico, man. That it would be a, a disservice not to say Puerto Rico. So <laughs> Puerto Rico for sure. That's your second home. So also I need to know me and you both cut from the same cloth. I think that's how we met each other and and um kept each other around all these years. And I know that you had a bunch of jobs over the years because you definitely uh, got the hustler spirit. What's the most random job you feel like you ever had or the first one that come to mind? Oh, uh, bro. So it was after freshman year at Michigan. Mm. I got like a, a sales job where I had to go door to door, but it only lasted a week. It was super random, bro. But I needed some money before I started driving a bus. So it was a, a, a sales position where. We had to go door to door in these random places. We went to Paw Paw, Michigan, <laughs> and bro, I knew nothing about Paw Paw. I didn't even know where it was at at that at that time. I thought it was an imaginary place, but mm. I had to go door to door and sell stuff to save whales or something like that. It was super random, bro. Mm. I only lasted a week. I got my check and I bounced. It was <laughs> over with. <laughs> uh, I thought you were gonna say the bus because you was a, a bus driver. You got your is it a CDL or yeah. what which license you need to drive? Yeah, that ain't a random job though, you know. Uh, you don't see too many people just driving the bus in college, but I still have my CDL license too. That's that's we might need that in the future. For sure. So yeah, keep that for sure. Yeah. Uh, I want to know: Do you remember? And can you remind us of the first house you remember growing up in? Since we were talking about real estate, we're talking about architecture. Do you remember the first house that you grew up in, and what was it like? Should I should I name the address? Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I would case somebody live there right now. One hundred three blank blank Elmira. <laughs> that's on Plymouth and, and Wyoming. That's my that's my hood. That's the hood I represent. P. Okay. Rock, Plymouth Road. I remember growing up in that neighborhood, and I mean it was some of everything that I experienced there, like. It was drive-bys that we experienced there. Yeah. Um, I just experienced having fights outside the house or just playing basketball, um, going to school in, in that neighborhood for a minute. Like, I just remember that house day in and day out. We had a dog named Uno. <laughs> uh, it was just, it's, it's a real raggedy crib, but okay, I remember that. That's where all my childhood memories were. Mm. Uh, my mom and my auntie got into a fight with a lady outside the crib, so it's a lot, lot of memories, definitely. For sure. And I grew up not too far down the road, which we didn't find out until later um, in schoolcraft, so literally an exit away. So, yeah, definitely resonate with uh, that region of Detroit and uh, that era in growing up, because, yeah, that wasn't too far-fetched in a lot of neighborhoods. and. Yeah. And my, my, my grandma got her, uh, her Cardi snatched. <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait. The me in that neighborhood, too. Yeah. Wait, you trying to tell me grandma had the Cardi's on? Grandma, yes, she, had, she had some wires, and she had uh, some prescription lenses in them. Okay. And she was going into the gas station and had my little cousin in her hand. And as a dude was holding the door for her, he snatched her Cardi's and ran across the street. But... He didn't get too far with him because they had <laughs> prescription lenses in them anyway. Got you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you feel like you've ever received or the first piece of advice that comes to mind? It's a lot of great advice that, you know, I've received over the years. And I'm sure you have received over the years that, that really, really sticks with you. But the thing that actually really comes to mind after you ask that question is, like, just be yourself. Mm. Just authentically be yourself because I struggled a lot with that, um, especially leaving Detroit and going to Michigan. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's really a pruning process um, on, you know, trying to really find yourself. 
and I felt the best and I feel the best right now is because I'm authentically myself. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that has stuck with me through every endeavor, every situation, every circumstance that I endured in life is just like be myself. Even in Puerto Rico, like, you know, you struggle from identity crisis, um, really trying to fit into another culture, but it was best when I was with myself. So yeah. that's what I would say. Most definitely. Most definitely. And as far as us being city guys, West Side, Detroit, Michigan, through our high school years, college years, we made a lot of these runs. I got to know, when you pull up to the Coney Island, what are you ordering? Oh, that's easy. Grilled chicken pita with the honey mustard, deluxe fries with the chili cheese on them, for sure, and a, uh, a fruit punch. That's, that's going to put you right to sleep. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's exactly what you need, too. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, congratulations. You successfully passed Freestyle Fridays. Thank you for engaging the randomness and the, and the shenanigans. That was Thank easy. You, and for the memories. That was easy. That was an easy question. It was a layup? Yeah, because you asked some crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep it clean for, you know, the, the podcast and the, and the brand. But you know, you know how I go off camera. But as far as talking more about your journey and becoming an architect, you don't see a lot of black kids navigating towards that profession. So much so that only 2% of all licensed architects in the world or the U.S.? I think the statistic came from the U.S., Okay, it's probably even less via the world. You okay. Know what I mean? So, only, just the U.S. Okay. So, in the U.S., only 2% of licensed architects are uh, black or from that background. And I wanted to know, as far as you can remember back, when do you feel like you started to gravitate towards that particular profession? Because the high school that we went to, we went to the best high school in the city, shout out to Cass Technical High School, and there you have the option to be able to start a career path or pick a curriculum is what they called it and then go down that route and they had one that was adjacent to architecture and i want to know if it started for you there in high school or was it even earlier than that like you felt like you wanted to you were gravitated towards that industry that that's a great question that's a great question and you know i've i've contemplated that a, a number of times but to answer that question directly and then go into a little bit more detail i believe that it started at cas Mm. I mean, the the, net, the innate interest, of course, it started from the womb. Like, it's a God-given thing. Like, mm. it's, it's what I've always wanted to do in, in some fashion or form. So, whether it been construction, architecture, real estate, something in that industry, I've always wanted to do. But um, I believe going to CAS really, really cultivated that because, you know, when we first start there, we have to take that survey that talks about our interests, and then they place you in a program to prepare you for it. Mm. So, I mean, through that, I was placed inside of the program and was able to take a drafting class that really, really cultivated that interest mm -hmm. and took it a step further. And then, um, you know, once we got to Michigan, I fell away from that, listening to other advice like, you know, architect, we don't even know what they really do. Yeah. You know, you need to be a, a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, something that we all know. Mm -hmm. And I kind of fell away from that, and I took uh, an engineering class. It was like computer programming or whatever. I sat in that class for like a week, bro, <laughs> and it was over with. I'm, I looked around like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Mm. And our boy, Yohairo, mm -hmm. he actually went straight into architecture. So I visited him one time in an architecture studio at Michigan and instantly fell in love, and then I applied for the program. So I would say that it started at, at Cast Tech, which I'm super, super grateful for going to that school. And I understand that a lot of us 
especially in underrepresented communities, don't get an opportunity right. to understand what our interests are and be placed in that. Absolutely. And I wanted to know if you could, like you said, a lot of people don't even fully understand the scope of architecture, what that entails, what type of work you all do, how does that, the inner workings of that profession. Could you explain to us what architecture is, what the basis of it is, and then what it means to you, Kirk, being an architect? So architecture, um, a lot of people get it misconstrued because architects do not build buildings. We design space. Um, that's the simplest way to put it. You do, we design space. So the space that we're in right now had to be designed by an architect because you can't just approach any type of construction or any type of project or piece of real estate and just start throwing things up because there's a lot of coordination that goes into it. Like, we're in a cigar lounge right now. You have to have all types of ventilation systems mm. and um, AC and lighting and all that. So an architect really um, orchestrates that entire process. We design the space and we coordinate the team in order to put a building together. Mm. Um, so we get the drawings together and we coordinate with a me mechanical engineer, a an electrical engineer, plumbing engineer, um, structural engineer, any type of engineer that goes into a building, we coordinate that entire process. We all put the drawings together and we hand that booklet to a contractor or general contractor and they build the building. Mm -hmm. So um, architecture or an architect, the first step should be the first step in building any type of structure or building mm -hmm. for sure. So that's where we orchestrate the entire process. Got you. Yep. And then for you, what does that what does it mean to you to be an architect? Man, it's big, especially being a part of the 2%. Mm. Like, it's such an extensive process to become a, a, a licensed architect. So I wanted to become licensed to play for ownership. So it means much more to me. Like, now I can be the master of my profession and my fate. Before then, I had to always work under someone licensed. Mm. And as you can imagine, if it's only 2% of us, you can imagine what type of culture I had to work under. Right. And their type of belief systems, they come from a totally different place. They believe in totally different things. Mm -hmm. So to be able to be an, a licensed architect myself, to be able to stamp drawings and to put um, a building together myself or to um, help or mentor the other talent, that means a lot to me because now you can have influence on the next generation, next culture of what architects look like. So that means mm -hmm. a lot to me. It means influence and ownership and yeah. equity in, in any deal. Most definitely. And because I know you're very thoughtful and meticulous as far as how you go about projects and doing work, what would you say is your process when you approach a project as an architect? Like what's your, how do you kind of think about the landscape, how you want to set things out? And what, if you could kind of take us through your process with that. Yeah. That, that's a that's a great question too because it's so person specific mm -hmm. that question. But um, I would say I with anything I approach, I think about the beginning, and I think about the end. What is my goal, my end result? I don't just get into anything and just like get straight into it. So I think about the goal. What is the type of experience that I want to give the user of the space? Like who is actually going to use this space? What back background do they come from? What are they interested in? What do they want to see? We're in the cigar lounge right now. Um, if I can ask you a question, what's important for you when you step into a cigar lounge? What type of environment do you do you like to see? I like to see somewhere where I'm going to have enough space and be comfortable. 
Uh, definitely like to feel like it's ventilated, so a lot of smoke around, so you don't want to feel like you're in a choking. And then uh, also something that has like a really good vibe to it, makes you feel relaxed when you come into the space. Yeah, and that, that's super important. So understanding like the health benefits of that, like you talked about the smoke being ventilated. That's one thing I, I try to approach it, thinking about the health of someone, the safety, the welfare of an individual, and just really the vibe that you want to create. So I think about the end. And then I work backwards. So I think about the person and the environment. Gotcha. And as far as noir architecture goes, can you tell us, can you give us a little bit more insight as to the services that you provide, some projects that you may have worked on, or like a favorite project that kind of comes to mind so we can get more into the inner workings of the business and the brand? Yep. So um, a project that I've worked on in the city that I'm pretty, pretty proud of, it is called Momento Gelato, and it's right across from the um, old Tiger Stadium, mm. and it's a gelato shop. So the guy, his name is Tom Isaiah, um, he went over to uh, Italy, and he learned from Italians how to make gelato. So he spent three months, three to six months over there, right? And he came back, and he had the idea of creating a gelato shop. So he was very clear with his intentions, the environment, the vibe he wanted to set up, and he was a great person to work with. So, um, you know, it's a space that's up and running now. The environment, the inside is really, really nice. So if you uh, were ever in the area, it's right on uh, Michigan Ave, and I can't think of the other street, the cross street. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. It's right across the street from the old Tiger Stadium. So that's a that's a project that that I worked on that that I'm pretty pretty proud of through through the business. And then what was the first part of your question? I'm sorry. What services do you would you say that you provide? Yep. So um, it's hard to say the services that I provide without going into definition of what those services are. Mm. But we do if you gave us the play school version. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> we do feasibility studies. So that means is your project actually feasible? Mm -hmm. Like. You can come and say you have all of these ideas, but is it really feasible? Are you able to put that project in a specific place? Do you have a specific place that you want to put this project? Do you have the finances in place to do that? Like, it's a lot of things that actually go into a project. So that's the first step. We do feasibility study. And then once it's feasible to do as a project, um, we do conceptual design. So sitting down with a client saying, what type of environment do you want to create? What is the business? Are you doing a spa? You know, uh, what are the colors that you want um, to put into the space? What is the emotion that you want to invoke? Like, what does the lighting look like? Is it a dim space? It is well lit, something like that. So conceptual design, mm -hmm. right? And then we actually look at the space that you have. So it can be a, a small brick and mortar. Look at it, see the square footage, understand, like, do we need to put another floor on this thing? Can we do it in one level? Something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the conceptual design. And then we're going to actual design of the space, so mm -hmm. the specifics. So um, what are the mechanical systems look like? What are these specific spaces and things like that? And then we go into the actual uh, completing the drawings, which is construction development mm -hmm. uh, or uh, construction documents. Uh, so that's actually putting the drawings together. And then there's a service that we provide called construction administration, mm -hmm. which is after the contractor is starting the work, we administer the construction. So we make sure that the, the building is being put together according to these drawings that we put together. Because, bro, you'll be surprised. Like contractors that say they've been working in this business for a mm -hmm. long time, 
bro, they'll put uh, toilets on the walls. <laughs> if you search, like, construction, <laughs> catastrophe or whatever on Google, bro, yeah. you'll see some crazy stuff. So we have to go through and we make sure that the construction is actually being administered specifically to the drawings that we put together. So normally when an architect enters a project, do they normally stop at passing off that playbook pretty much? Or like when does that process normally stop versus being involved in the, the construction? Like how, how far can it go and where does it normally stop, I should say? Yeah, so most times it stops just giving them the, the, the packet to the playbook. Mm. Like it's like putting together furniture at Ikea. You got somebody that actually draws up the instructions, but the, if the instructions trash, yeah. you don't know how to put it together. Mm -hmm. um, so it usually stops at handing over the instructions, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, they, people look at the documents and they can't interpret them the way that you drafted them up. So um, it stops there, and then you can um, do the other service, which is construction administration, where you hire an architect to oversee the process. So. Yeah, that's what we do. We like to oversee the process, too. Gotcha. Yeah. So being able to have the level of involvement that you do in your projects that you work, had, that you previously worked on, that you're currently working on, how do you see yourself making impact in the community? Because I know that a lot of stuff that you do is community-driven and wanting to leave the places that you came from better than you found them. So how would you say that you're able to drive impact or looking to drive impact through your work? So I think it go way deeper than architecture in itself, like just the practice of architecture. So I also am a professor or adjunct professor at University of Detroit, Michigan, right? So um, being able to influence the individuals that get into the school that actually is involved in architecture and get an opportunity to practice or learn about architecture is deep. And I, I have a, um, a story that's important to kind of talk about. So I teach at the school and there was a student that actually didn't get into the school, but she went through this program that we do. We do this program called Project Pipeline. And it is uh, a program, it's like a week long program and it's during the summer and it's, it's marketed towards like 11th and 12th graders. But if you're in 9th or 10th grade, we're not gonna turn you away from the program, but it's to teach you about architecture. So we do that week long, um, uh, program there to teach them about architecture. And there was one student that actually went through the program, and I'm not going to say who it is, obviously, mm. but it was at University of Detroit Mercy. We were able, they're, they're really good. Um, I want to say that they're really good at like helping and uh, helping us to provide a facility for mentorship and things like that. So um, this is not a slight against them at all. Mm -hmm. I want to make that clear. But we had the program at the University of Detroit Mercy. She did the week long pro program. And then she was super interested in architecture from that program. And she applied to University of Detroit Mercy. But she didn't end up getting in because of some uh, admissions process. It was maybe a testing score, GP, I don't know, right? But I knew her personally. personally so she contacted me. She was, like, distraught, saying that she didn't get uh, an opportunity or a chance to go to the university at that moment of time when she thought because she didn't get in. And I was able to go into the office and talk directly to the dean and say, well, you need to take another look at this application right here because this student, she's this, she's that, she's great. She's going to be great for this school and great for architecture. And she's never had an opportunity because she didn't go to Cass Tech mm. that offered these classes, right? So he took a second look at the application 
and admitted her immediately. And now she's in her junior year of school right now at mm-hmm. University of Detroit Mercy and doing great. So the impact is way deeper than the work that I actually do as far as practicing architecture. It's mm-hmm. influencing who can actually have access to getting into a school that teaches you architecture. And she'll be licensed one day and she'll be able to do the same for someone else. So mm-hmm. um, that was super, super impactful for me that um, I would say is, is important to answer the question. Yeah, and that's huge. And shout out to you for being able to be an advocate for her in that regard because I think me and you both have been a part of different programs, uh, mentoring programs, shout out to Midnight Golf Program, where we had access to people who were able to be advocates and be there for us in our time of trying to understand, figure things out at a young age, uh, and then just being that voice of reason and, and direction as well. So I think that it's very important to be able to have that level of uh impact from that standpoint. So I think that that's definitely uh, huge. And I also wanted to understand better as far as what you're doing, because you have entered the realm of real estate and being able to combine that with your architectural background. I want to know what is it being able to invest in, work on real estate related projects, and then have that architectural background? Because to me, somebody who doesn't fully understand kind of that landscape, it's, you, it seems unique to be able to have that level of intelligence, background experience, and then, you know, combine that with real estate as well. So I want to know what has that been like for you? Man, that's a super critical question. I'm glad that we actually going in that direction because uh, business or just entrepreneurship is sales, and you have to sell a product or a service. And architecture is a service business. You're selling mm-hmm. a service. And I've always known that I wasn't really interested in selling a service because you have to do it over and over and over again. You have to convince somebody about the importance of architecture or whatever you do. You, you create websites. Mm-hmm. And you got to convince a person over and over again why they should go with you, right? Every time. And that's crazy. That's just a crazy process. And they know why they need a website. It's clear as day, but, I, yeah, I'm with you. And people don't even know what architects do. So you have to educate them on what architecture is, first and foremost, why it's important for them to hire an architect, and then uh, coach them through the actual service, the, the whole process. What comes next? And this is expensive, and that's that and the other, right? So I always knew that I wanted to be in the asset business. So I wanted to use architecture as a means to have equity in real estate deals because you hear a lot about real estate and majority of millionaires or self-made millionaires, they have real estate or they got rich from real estate, right? Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I've always known that I want to get into real estate. And one of the, one of the individuals that you need in real estate that's going to be super important, that's a, a big line item, is an architect. So I thought, you know, in, archi- in real estate deals, what if I can be the architect too? So I can get an architect back and then I can get the real estate deal back and I can have the asset and I always get paid off of the asset mm. and there's a lot of tax benefits to that and also there's a lot of uh, uh, upside when you start to sell the property too once it starts to appreciate mm-hmm. so I've always known that I wanted to use that as equity in a deal and things that the the type of education that you get from from architecture you get you get a chance to understand how to communicate with contractors b- relationship building like realtors you need to build a team when you start to get into real estate so it's like the time that i'm taking to become uh an architect 
I can do a double whammy. I can start to build relationships with these people I need on the team. I can understand how to use the nomenclature and just the vocabulary of communicating with a contractor, an engineer, an architect, so on and so forth. And I can architect my own deals. So that was a that was a a, a no brainer for me. Like mm-hmm. it just took patience and time to be able to put that together. Yeah, and they definitely go hand in hand. Like you said, they're a part of a different side of the coin or the process um, as far as it goes. And literally being able to essentially pass the baton to yourself once you do the architectural part of it and then uh, be able to, to own the deal literally from beginning to end, I think is, uh, is super dope. And wanted to know as far as like how has that been? So the conversation that we're having about architecture and real estate, obviously you're dealing with physical assets, brick and mortars. I was interested to know as we invoke on this digital world, you have AI, you have all different types of tools out here to help us do different things. Where do you kind of see the future of real estate, architecture, that industry, that realm that you're in right now? Where do you kind of see that going? And I know you see a lot of benefits in some of those things, just kind of being able to understand where the market is going and where the market is heading and not being afraid to try new things. So I want to know, like, what's your perspective on how that's impacting the industry now and where it's headed in the future? Man, I, that's a difficult question because, first and foremost, I'm not even into, like, <laughs> a lot of the digital stuff. I barely use social media. Um, so I'll be the first to say that I don't understand the space at mm. all, and that's something that I've been really, really taking time to get educated on because uh, now they have the – what is that? The Facebook world? the uh, Metaverse. Met- metaverse, yep. right? And they're creating, like, digital real estate in mm-hmm. the metaverse and people buying up all of these different parcels and things like that. And I just don't understand the space yet. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, we live in a physical world. we here right now. Like, what are y'all creating <laughs> that I don't know? And why, is, why are people buying digital real estate? And why is that so valuable right now? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the industry is moving more towards it, mm-hmm. although I don't understand it. And it is my job to educate myself or seek knowledge on understanding that space. Or you get left behind because right. that's how Blockbuster got left behind, mm-hmm. not understanding the model of Netflix. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, it's moving It's moving digitally. Everything else is moving digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you go into any type of brick-and-mortar space, let's say you go into Meijer, your checkout is digital. I yeah. went into Plum Market the other day on Woodward. And they got the hot bar, the hot food bar. You go out, get your food, and you check yourself out and sit there and eat. Everything is is digital. Mm. And I, it, I'll be a fool to think that, you know, real estate and architecture and things like that won't go digital. I actually read a, uh, excuse me, I read an article yesterday that talked about, you know, we use a program called Revit to build models and stuff mm. uh, for architecture. And they're creating some type of... Uh, text or speak to model type of thing where you speak and you say uh, create a three story building and it create a three story building right there I want the structure to be 20 feet away and I want this to be the lighting and you, you speak to it and it starts to model these things up so mm. it's moving towards there bro and I think that that's that's scary mm-hmm. but it's an opportunity too right so. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. But I'm sure a lot of people in that space or in different spaces get scared because they think it's going to replace them or their job. But what you do, what a lot of people do, it's not going to replace 
you is going to the landscape is going to change on how the work is getting done. So like you said, you still have to go in and go in with your eye, know the different nuances of how a structure should be built, what should be included, what shouldn't be, and be able to chisel that out of the stone to create that project. And the AI is not going to, or the tool is not going to be able to do that for you, but it is going to expedite some things if you take the time to learn how to use it. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with it expediting the process because it takes a long time to actually create this stuff. So, you know, with the chat GPT, if you can mm -hmm. create a business plan real quick or just the foundation of a business plan real quick. Mm -hmm. Contracts. Yeah, contracts. Mm -hmm. If you can do something similar, which it is going to happen in, in architecture or the process, I'm totally for that. Like, mm -hmm. I would just adapt to the space because I figure it would say, like, maybe it's – it's not Newton or somebody, but they say the, uh, I forget, Dar Darwin. He say, like, the quickest to adapt will be the person that lasts the longest. Yep. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But um, I just adapt. Everybody should just adapt to whatever the future is like. Yep. And I want to ask you, speaking of the future of this space, you talked about it a little bit more about how you've been able to be currently an advocate, but how do we make more equity in this space? We talked about at the beginning of this 2%. Licensed architects in the U.S. are, are black, only 2%, very small amount. So if it's 100 architects that's licensed, only two of those people are black, which is um, super low, very low. We definitely need more representation in that space overall. In your opinion, how can we create more equity in that, in that space? I mean, it starts with the education. I think everybody's educating right now. I mean, I think we're doing our job with educating on whatever space you are. So that's from a macro scale is the education piece. But I think it's really micro, the individual. Like, a lot of people want stuff doing the least, like, uh, amount of effort, and they want the biggest reward. So mm -hmm. you have to look deep inside yourself as an individual and understand that things take time. Mm -hmm. Like, me becoming a part of the 2% licensed architects, that was a 13-year grind. Mm -hmm. 13 years, bro. So in order to have equity, which will uh, streamline or, or put you right into wealth, you have to do your job as an individual, understanding your interest, understanding what actually really goes into that and separating yourself. Mm. So, um, you know, equity in real estate is acquiring the property, holding the property, having money to uh, renovate the property, managing the tenants or whatever, right? Mm. That's a lot of work. So as long as you are... Um, committed to doing the work, you have the reward of the equity. You have the reward of the equity, you get the wealth. And you'll mm -hmm. be able to pass that down to your generation. So I think it's just patience, education, and just actually putting in the time and the grit in order to see that through, bro. Yeah. Because it's just the beginning. I'm, I got license, but that's just the beginning. Like right. 13 years to start. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so in terms of your journey to, or the process that you took to where you are in your career, something that makes you unique is the fact that you didn't, you started your architecture journey, obviously here in the United States and going through high school and then college. But as far as starting the process of you becoming a uh, licensed architect, you did your graduate studies in a different, not a different country, but a different part of the country in Puerto Rico. So if you could talk about like kind of what significance that has to the work that you do now and how that kind of sets you apart from others. Yeah, that's a great question because um, me being a licensed architect is 
I don't want to downplay and say it's nothing special, but I'm going to say it's nothing special for a lack of better words. It's nothing special because, yeah, I'm a part of the 2% black African-American licensed architects here in the United States. But that's something that others have done, you know. So I further wanted to separate myself by going to Puerto Rico and challenging myself to be under a, a different environment, a different culture, and open myself up to a bigger market. So not only can I practice architecture or real estate in anywhere where they speak English, but I can practice uh, in any other place where they speak Spanish too. And I wanted to really further separate myself and really saying that I'm a black licensed architect that speaks Spanish fluently and I can mix and mingle with another culture and open myself up to a totally different market as far as real estate, as far as architecture, as far as equity, obtaining different assets and things like that. And there's global projects and expansion in the, on the horizon for the future? Absolutely. So I wanted to plant my flagship here in Detroit because I know the market, I know the people. This is where I am. This is where family is and things like that. So um, what, you, what I like to do in business is start slow and then vamp it up. So uh, start obtaining my assets here and definitely have aspirations and have a pl ha I have a plan to go global. Um, I'll go into Puerto Rico and then to Mexico, and then I won't talk about the other places <laughs> I go, but there's definitely a global expansion in the future for sure. Love it. Love it. So for Kirk Welsh for Noir Architecture, what do you see in your crystal ball as being next? Or what's some things that you want to, we like to put things in the universe here on Black Fridays and let it see it come back. So what do you want to put out there as far as things that you're working towards, things that you want to see into fruition, some dope projects you might want to work on? What do you see in your crystal ball? Um, so equity and uh, obtaining more assets because I'm on the road to be not a, just a millionaire, a multimillionaire. So... Uh, my future is looking like obtaining more assets and more equity in deals and more real estate. And like I said at the beginning, I didn't want to continue to provide a service. I don't want to continue to do architecture as a profession. Mm -hmm. I don't want to continue to design buildings for developers that are multimillionaires. I want to be the developer or I'm going to be the developer that hires an architect or an architecture firm to do that. So mm -hmm. uh, obtaining more assets is what I see in the future and using Noir Architecture as the entity to help me to do that because mm -hmm. nothing is in, I don't own anything personally. Mm -hmm. Kirk Welsh doesn't own anything. My business owns assets and I reap the benefits of that, mm -hmm. but I don't own anything personally. And then as far as to encourage more people that look like us to get in the space or maybe interested in the space and discouraged for whatever reason. Um, I know, like you said earlier, a big thing for you was being able to be more of yourself. So in knowing the type of person you are, very low key, like, you know, you're not out there and overt with your personality and who you are. But as far as being able to be more comfortable with who you are, speaking up more, um, and displaying what you can do, how do you have any encouraging words for people to help them kind of get out of their own way as well and not limit themselves because of what they, you know, preconceived notions or anything like that? I don't want to curse on your podcast, and I'm not. <laughs> just do the work. Uh -huh. A lot of people are looking for excuses, bro. They want to do things, but they don't want to put in the work and the time. Mm -hmm. Do the work. Like, 
if you sit there and you just in your head constantly, you're just going to be in the same place that you are and you're going to feel unhappy. Mm. You know, I think the best way to get over that is to do something like I don't think that you can actually get into anything without having a goal in mind, mm-hmm. understanding what is your North Star. My North Star is to uh, become a multimillionaire, but that's not really the end of my North Star. My mm-hmm. North Star is to create generational wealth mm-hmm. and own assets and to be able to, to pass things down to my children. Because mm-hmm. my dad, he, he was an immigrant from Jamaica that moved here when he was 15. And I learned that he couldn't read or write. He was illiterate. Mm-hmm. And when he passed, he didn't have anything to leave to me. I had to fly down to Jamaica and contribute to his funeral and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So understanding what your North Star is, from that situation, I understood that I wanted to create generational wealth and to uh, change the dynamics of my family. Mm-hmm. So once you, once you have that North Star in place, that should always be your driving force to help you to do things. You have to create your North Star have some goals in mind, have some action plans, and you hold yourself accountable. Yeah. If you don't do the work, you can't be mad at nobody else because we can all have excuses. And yep. I read, did you read Rick Ross's book? I had uh, mentioned it to you one time. Not yet, nope. Yeah. But he has a quote in there. He said, uh, excuses are dangerous because they all make sense. Everybody's excuse makes sense to you and everybody else, but it's still not going to get you nowhere. Mm-hmm. So do the work. That's what I would say, like, you know, seek the guidance and the education. It's YouTube out here. It's Black Friday podcast. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of things. We have access to a lot of information. But at the end of the day, bro, you got to do the work. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. Yeah. You got to jump out the window and you have to, you got to try something at the end of the day. So I definitely agree with that. I told you before, as we were setting this up, that the podcast to me was an opportunity to prove some things to myself that, I felt like I could always do, but I wasn't exactly sure that I could. And then hold myself accountable through it um, and being able to continue it and have these lo- <clears throat> excuse me, lovely conversations with people like yourself and other people who are out there trying to make impact through the work that they do and the legacy that they're trying to leave. So I definitely uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. And as we wrap up, can you tell the people where they can get in touch with you if they want to be able to – I don't know, pick your brain, and uh, I'm sure that come with a fee nowadays, but if they want to pick your brain, buy you a cup of coffee, or really just kind of follow your journey, where can they reach you at? Where can they find you? Yeah, I actually just want to go back and make a comment to what you said and, yep. then, and then go there. Uh, yeah, you and I have been talking about the podcast, this podcast, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you had, like, you know, the ideas, and you talked about the inception of it and things like that, but you didn't have everything figured out at the beginning and you Mm -hmm. just jumped out there. You started your podcast and you started to meet dope individuals during the process Mm -hmm. and you figuring it out along the way. So I want to commend you, bro. Thank you for, for actually stepping out there and being an example of what people need to do. Mm -hmm. Just do something like just do something. So, um, all right. So individuals can find me on, uh, Instagram at Kirk underscore the dot architect. You can reach out to me there. Pick my brain, ask me any questions via DM. I'm always open to that. You can find me on LinkedIn as well at uh, Kirk Welsh, which is my name. And then uh, you can also find me on Facebook. But it's best to reach out to me on LinkedIn or reach out to me via DMs on uh, Instagram. Dope. And we talk like this all the time, so this ain't nothing new for us. But, of course, thank you for your time. Thank you for pulling up to the podcast and sharing your experience. I think that is very impactful and powerful story for people to learn more about the journey that you took and 
the importance of embracing the journey and the grind because it definitely can pay off and it's paying off for you now. And I know that it will uh, much more in the future. And the things that you set out to accomplish, they're definitely going to happen and, and then some. So thank you once again for pulling up. And everybody that's watching, I'll tap in with y'all next time. Appreciate y'all joining the podcast. Thank you, my brother.